Alyssa, how are you? Good. How are you? This is your obligatory welcome to the Pinecast Media Network introduction. I'm going to yes. introduce you to my audience of mostly PTs, PTAs, and students. Uh, let's do like rapid fire. Are you ready? Yes. Where do you practice? Outside of Denver, Colorado. Uh, name of your practice? Back in step physical therapy. Who is like your, I get so fired up to treat these people. Dancers. Keeping and, dancers happy and healthy and, while they dance under the spotlight and dance the night away. There you go. There's your XYZ statement. I love that. How long have you been doing this? Like how long have you been a PT and treating dancers and like what's your stats? Uh, let's see. I've been a PT 13 years now. Yeah. Um, I've been at my practice for just over six years and really honed in on the niche of dancers for the last probably three. But I've been treating dancers since PT school. You know, I would be the student going, I've worked, I do dance. Can I maybe have some input? Yeah. Uh, so that already started back then. And you are part of your audience. You, you are a dancer, you dance. And exactly. And we've talked about some things. You've taught me things about dance. Like some of these competitions are like, you dance at like three o'clock in the morning. There's like, you're like, actually the competition only, or like the dancing stops for like two hours, like three to five in the morning and then bang, six o'clock in the morning. Oh, later than that, dancing goes to like 6 a.m. <laughs> That's insane to me. And this, well, this, this is not insane to me. This is someone who avoids dance floors unless I am several drinks deep at a wedding because I just, I am the most awkward person on a dance floor. I can ice skate, I can swim. I'm, I'm decently, I'm moderately athletic. Mm -hmm. Dancing freaks me out. Um, what excites you the most about dance medicine? Really, I think the most exciting thing is that it exists and that it keeps developing. I know when I was a teenager, I was an injured dancer and did not get good advice of what to do. And, you know, I never had dreams of being a professional dancer, but it certainly impacted how I did continue with things for a while until I got to PT school and started learning things and being able to work stuff out on my own. And so now knowing that there's actual research being done and people who specialize in this and across all different professions, it's just cool that it exists and that people are starting to know that it exists. It's, it's just a cool little niche and it's it's your corner of the world that you want to overserve. And one of those ways that we can serve is creating content for those people, right? And yep. um, we're launching a bunch of 12 podcasts in 12 months outside of Pinecast to create sort of this de facto network. Your show, get, hit people with the title and what they're going to learn, not only from the first episode that we're going to listen to today, but the show as a whole. Yeah, so it's Dance Med Spotlight, where we talk about all things dance medicine. We're going to be talking mostly from the perspective of providers to know what all is out there, things we can be asking about and learning and helping our dancers with, but also presenting it in a, a way that is approachable for dancers themselves and people within the dance community to understand what it is that we do, uh, because that's one of the big disconnects too, is not knowing that we exist or how yeah. we can help. So helping make all those connections for everybody. All I hear you saying, Alyssa, is like, I'm creating the thing I wish existed when I was a student or when I was in PT school, when I was a new grad, like, and you creating that thing is just creating solutions. And here's the best part. Like, you're going to share 13 years worth of experience, but you're probably going to get into some areas where you're like, hey, I wonder what the answer is to this. You're going to do some research or you're going to bring in a guest and you're just going to, you're going to create the solution, the answer that did not exist. If you couldn't find it, you're going to be that answer. Now let's get specific. Episode one, when people stick around another couple of seconds, what are they going to hear? What are they going to learn? 
We're going to start off with backstage care. So it's not the ins and outs of exact treatments or equipment that you should have or anything like that, but just some of the things to consider who the audience is, all of that sort of thing. So just the concepts of what does it mean to provide backstage care for a dancer? Yeah. So check out episode one of Dance Med Spotlight. We're talking about backstage care. Learn all the things you need to know to help your dancers on site. Coming up in today's episode of the Dance Med Spotlight, we're talking about a variety of things, who our clients are, how we're getting compensated for our time, or if we're getting compensated for our time, what we are offering as far as services, and then communication that we're having with our patients. This is not specifically about treatments, equipment, any of that sort of thing, but there's some good information coming up to help get you started to start thinking about how you're going to work with your artistic athletes, your dancers on site and backstage. Welcome to Dance Med Spotlight. My name is Alyssa Arms. I am a physical therapist in Colorado who is also a dance specialist and lifelong dancer. On this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things dance medicine, not just from physical therapy perspective, but bringing on guests who come from a variety of professions that all specialize in working with dancers or have some specialized knowledge from the dance community. We're going to be talking about research, best practice, all kinds of different things when it comes to working with this awesome population. Today for episode one, we're talking about on-site and backstage care for dancers. This concept is something that we're already familiar with, with other types of athletes, you know, playing football, soccer, who knows what, uh, Olympians, all of those folks. We're used to having people on-site to provide care for them before, during, or after whatever their sport is. With dancers and performing artists, we have to remember that these are artistic athletes. They deserve the exact same sort of access to care. So that's what we're talking about. There are three major things that we're going to be covering in this discussion. What are we actually providing? Who are our clients and how are we getting paid for any of it or pro bono or any of that kind of concept? And how we're communicating a lot of this information. First, let's talk about clients and payment. This is something that can be all across the board. It may be kids or adults, amateurs, professionals, who knows what. You can be hired by an event or an organization to come. So for example, I've been hired in the past by companies like Ailey 2 and the Nashville Ballet when they've been on tour to come work backstage for a night or two for them. Sometimes I am there as a vendor at a swing dance competition, for example. And so I'm just there. I bring all my stuff and individuals are paying for the sessions that they're signing up for. In other circumstances, I've worked with organizations where we're providing coverage at a kid's convention. And so, you know, parents may or may not be there. So we have to have other mechanisms set up for getting consent, getting any past medical history, all of that sort of thing, and receiving payment for anything that we're doing because we're working with minors. So you really have to be aware of, you know, who's hiring you, who has the say, who has the wallet, all of those kinds of things. And there's times where it's beneficial to provide pro bono care. We know 
dancers don't always have access and the ability to pay for care on a regular basis if they're professionals, for example. Um, so we need to keep that in mind too and make sure that we're balancing things well for what we need as professionals as well as what they need in order to have access to care. There's some great examples out there of organizations that do pro bono care for dancers all the time, which is awesome. With all of that too, we need to consider what style they're doing. Is it competition, a convention, auditions, touring and a performance? Lots of different types of settings that we might be involved in when we're working with dancers. That kind of leads us to category two. What are we offering? Really, there's four things that I think about within this category of what we're offering. First aid, and that's something that I personally think is inherently ingrained in anything that we're offering, that ability to screen and manage uh, more immediate needs like that, because it is certainly not unusual for someone to get hurt while we're there. The other thing is our traditional PT treatment from, you know, from my perspective as a physical therapist, what does that look like? Is it more of a wellness or fitness session or is it recovery? Let's talk about that first aid component first. It is important that whenever you're providing this kind of care in particular, that you are good at doing some of that triage and screening. Are you familiar with fracture screens and things like Ottawa ankle rules? Are you bringing your blood pressure cuff and stethoscope and pulse ox and all of that so that you can assess vitals? We know how important being able to screen through all of those things is. Maybe you have other things that you're also including in all of that, but that's where you know we can really learn from some of our primary care and uh, emergency department folks about how to do that and what all we need to be considering. Are we screening for ligamentous laxity and things like that. A lot of that is already ingrained with what we do on a day-to-day -day basis as physical therapists or as medical providers when we're in the clinic and working in kind of the more traditional setting. But we need to remember all of that when we're on site as well and be ready for it. I often pack some different things with me, including you know, even a mask for CPR and a first aid kit and some different things like that, just to make sure I have all of the access that I need to those things. The other piece that I really recommend for all of this too is whenever you're covering on site that is not a familiar area for you, maybe you're in a different part of town um, or traveling with an organization, maybe you're on tour with a touring group, it's important to have a list of places like urgent care and emergency rooms that are nearby. That way you're prepared if something happens and you're not scrambling to find something. So ahead of time, create that list for yourself so that you know what's available and be aware of timing of all of it. You know, if you're covering on a Friday or Saturday night, physician's offices aren't going to be open. Urgent care probably isn't going to be open if it's late enough. So emergency room really is your only option if it's something that can't wait at least a couple of days for urgent care or the doc's office to open up. If you're doing all of this on a Tuesday afternoon, maybe you have very different options, but knowing, having all of that set up ahead of time and just having that awareness will make you feel so much better when or if something like that comes up. Treatment. Again, from the physical therapy standpoint, 
we are used to providing treatment all the time. Depending on where you are working clinically, a typical treatment session may range from 25, 30 minutes up to an hour or more. Typically, they're coming in to see you when it's convenient for their schedule. When we're providing treatment on site like this, that is often not the case. Let me give you a few examples of things that I've encountered when I've done some of this on-site coverage for places. One is the example of some of these touring groups that I've been able to work backstage with for a night or two. A lot of times they're coming in with a binder of notes from previous providers on each of the dancers. So then that way you have a way to go back and look real quick at what's been going on, what have people done already, what has been successful. But in most of those circumstances, I have those dancers for 15, 20 minutes unless they happen to have a little bit more availability. So we need to be able to go through some quick screening and provide treatment and hopefully provide some recommendations of what to do afterwards, whether it's an exercise they can do or follow up with somebody else on something specific. We have to accomplish all of that in that 15 to 20 minutes, which sounds a little insane, but is totally doable when you're well prepared for it. We also need to be aware of when are we doing this in relation to when they're dancing. Is it in preparation before they perform or compete? So maybe we're working a lot more on increasing mobility, neuromuscular control, things to prepare them to perform well and feel more comfortable, especially if they're coming in with something that is already an established injury that they need to be able to perform through or compete through. Maybe it's in the middle of a show. I remember helping backstage at a local ballet's Nutcracker performance, and we would have the Rat King come back with head under his arm and needing us to work on his shoulder for a few minutes before he needed to be back out there, or working on the Sugar Plum Fairy in between a couple of her numbers because something happened while she was performing and she wanted us to check it and maybe throw some tape on to help her get through the rest of the show. So we need to be aware of where they are in all of this. Part of that also will help indicate what some of our interventions may be. Maybe there's somebody where they would really benefit from taping an ankle to provide some more stability, but we can't do McConnell taping or whatever it is that you want to do because it's going to be visible and is going to limit their mobility from what they need to be able to do. So that's not going to be a great option if they still have dancing to do for the day. Um, maybe you are a provider who does something that might leave a little bit of a mark, a little bit of redness on their skin. Is it at an area that would be visible with their costume? All of these things are things that we need to consider when we're also selecting our interventions. So make sure that you're talking with your dancer, asking them about what their costume is, what is or isn't covered in the area, if it's an important area, um, knowing are there props that they're working with, you know, get to know their show, get to know their performance, because all of that will heavily impact how you're selecting some of your interventions as well. And maybe there's something that you do now, and then you have an opportunity to follow up with them after the show where it doesn't really matter as much at that point. And you can do more of those things that you know are going to be really helpful for them, but we're a little limited because of what their needs were going into a performance or competition, for example. 
The other thing is, are you a regular PT for them that they're able to follow up with? Maybe you are touring with a touring group, or maybe you're a staple in the community, and so they know that they can always come to you at your clinic where you also work. Or is this truly a one-time thing where you may never hear from them again? We want to make sure that we're providing some good follow-up, whether it's us reaching out afterwards to just say, hey, how did it go? How are you feeling? Maybe we're writing a note for that next PT or provider at the next site that they're going to be at, or encouraging them to follow up with somebody once they're back home or with their regular providers. Now let's talk about the wellness component of all of this. This can be a really broad category, and it's important to know what your specific practice act and license allows within this because there's a lot of variability from state to state and profession to profession. Some examples that I've seen for this at different events that I've been with and working with different providers on site as well. This could be something like doing assisted stretching. Maybe you're helping them warm up and that could be as an individual or in a group setting. Maybe it's providing a general education session and just kind of, you know, doing things again as a group, perhaps. Maybe you're providing screenings or assessments like point readiness assessments. You're taking them through something like the SFMA. Um, there's lots of different things that you can provide as far as screenings and that kind of thing. And then, um, you know, maybe there's something that they already have established as an exercise program from another provider, and they just need somebody for accountability and a little bit of monitoring, and you're just kind of providing some supervision as they're doing some of that stuff. This also goes into the recovery side of things, our last idea within this category of what are you offering. Again, thinking of timing in relation to their day, sometimes they're looking for something that's in that recovery category, but they're going to be dancing again in another hour or two. Or maybe they're done for the day or the night, and so there's a lot more availability of what we can do. So thinking about, you know, what are we doing to help warm up the area, cool it down? Is it something where we're encouraging them to end with ice? Well, maybe we won't do that if they're going to be dancing again in an hour. Um, so thinking of sequencing of their care versus their dance schedule and rest opportunities. Maybe you bring things in like um, the Normatec sleeves that provide the compression and that kind of thing where you have it there and you're available for supervision. Maybe you even have an aide or a tech there who can kind of help set up and that kind of thing. Um, but it's more self-administered versus something that you are providing for them or specifically providing intervention in. So, you know, you can think of some of those different options too, things that you have available for them to take advantage of under a little supervision, but don't need your direct attention versus more hands-on stuff. So within this idea of what are we offering, we talked about first aid as sort of an overarching theme, but then also treatment, in my case, physical therapy specific, wellness services versus recovery services. Sometimes when I'm on site with an organization, it's very specifically that we are providing first aid and treatment. For others, it can be any of those things under this concept of what we're offering. I offer all of them. Um, so, you know, you just have to be clear of what it's going to be that you're offering up front 
and be clear with each individual of setting their expectations so that you're able to meet and hopefully exceed some of their expectations with all of that. That leads us into topic number three, communication. We've already touched on this a little bit from some of the previous topics that I've mentioned, but let's talk about it again a little more specifically. We need to make sure that we're getting informed consent from the individual or from parents or guardians if it's a minor. So making sure that they are aware, just like I was talking about as far as like what kinds of services are we offering and what to expect from that. For example, I was recently working on site at a swing dance convention and I'm there providing care kind of across the spectrum, whatever people are looking for. And they sign up by 15 minute increments, but they can book as much time as they want and the individuals are paying for it. It's all adults that are there. Sometimes they'll come and they have an injury that needs addressed and they only want to sign up for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, because that's maybe financially what they can afford. I am very clear in my conversation with them of within this time frame, here's what to expect. Maybe it'll give us an opportunity to check some things and make sure that we don't have some larger problems, like going through some of those screenings for fractures and ligamentous stability and all of those kinds of things. Um, but maybe it doesn't leave much time for treatment. Or even if we provide treatment, this can help it feel better temporarily, but it's something that needs additional care after this to truly take care of it. Being really clear with all of that information up front is important before you even get started, before you accept payment or anything like that, so that they know what to expect from your time together. Making sure that you get all of that information of, are there costuming considerations? What is the timing in relation to their dance schedule or when they have some recovery time? All of those ideas. Making sure that they are, are well aware of the risk of skipping treatment. For example, several years ago, I had someone come see me. I screened them. I was concerned for fracture in their ankle. I gave them the recommendation for going to um, emergency room and said it would not be a good idea to continue dancing on this and, you know, kind of discussed that a little bit more with her. She decided that it was worth the, the chance to her to continue dancing. So she did. And then when she finally did get it checked out days later, when it was incredibly painful, she went to her doctor and got it checked. It turned out that it was a pretty serious fracture at that point, especially with more dancing on it. And she ended up having to get surgery to get it taken care of. Making sure that you really have thorough conversations on things like that with them is really important because if they decide not to follow your recommendations, you need to make sure that there's something clear to help cover you as well um, and that you've had that conversation with them. So then that leads into the whole concept of referral and follow-up and that kind of thing. If you're somebody who's regularly accessible to them, they're from the area that you're from, you're not on tour with them, you know, or, or you are on tour with them, different things like that, um, it's easy to do the follow-up. You probably already have people that you can refer to if they do need something besides what you're able to offer to them. But a lot of times it may be people who are just in town for an event or it's a touring group that you're only covering for that day. Knowing what their processes are, is it something that for professionals counts as work comp and they need to follow up with one of their providers? 
Um, is this something where it would benefit from additional physical therapy care, for example, helping connect them to somebody in their area and provide a connection and referral? Think about all of those things to be able to provide really well-rounded care and service for the dancer that you're working with. There's a lot more that we could go into as far as, you know, specific treatment, specific equipment that I bring, all of those kinds of things. But I think this is a nice way to at least start talking about the topic of providing on-site or backstage care for our dancers, for our artistic athletes. We've talked about what our clients are looking for, who they are, how are we getting compensated or are we getting compensated for services that we're providing? What kinds of services are they beyond maybe first aid and triage? Is it treatment, recovery, or wellness? And then how are we communicating with them and helping with continuity of care for everything that they need as well? Thank you for checking out episode one of Dance Med Spotlight. Make sure to check back for our second episode. Really looking forward to bringing on a special guest. Dance Med Spotlight is hosted and produced by Alyssa Arms. We discuss all things dance medicine. This has been another episode from Dance Med Spotlight. The Dance Med Spotlight is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present.